it is officially game week for the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. They open the season against the Colorado Buffaloes, a top 10 team that has been a thorn in the side of the Wolverines. Welcome to episode two of Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. I'm your host, Andrew Hammond, assistant sports editor at the Detroit Free Press. On this journey, we'll take you game by game, week by week, to give you an inside look at how the 1997 Michigan Wolverines captured a national title. What makes this game so fascinating is not only is it the last of an epic three-game series, but it's what you call a helmet game. The maize and blue winged helmets of Michigan taking on the gold and black helmets of Colorado. With ESPN's College Game Day serving as the backdrop to Michigan Stadium, the Wolverines and Buffaloes meet for the final time until 2016. However, it is the events of 1994 and 1996 that made the 97 matchup so intriguing. 1994 saw one of the greatest endings to a college football game. Colorado quarterback Cordell Stewart's Hail Mary to Detroit native Michael Westbrook at the gun to beat Michigan 27-26. The rematch in Boulder, Colorado, two years later, had another potential Hail Mary moment. Colorado quarterback Coy Detmer had a chance to play hero against the Wolverines, but instead of his Hail Mary finding a Buffalo or a Wolverine, it found the green turf of Folsom Field. Michigan got their revenge 20-13. In 1997, they meet for the rubber match in Ann Arbor. The cover of Saturday morning's Free Press Sports page had images of the two classics as we fully prepared for a third one at high noon in the big house. It's a matchup that was labeled by ABC's Keith Jackson as Michigan power against Colorado speed. Coming up next, we take a deep dive into the game with legendary Michigan broadcaster Jim Branstadter. You're listening to Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. To celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Michigan Wolverines, the Free Press is producing a commemorative book. Hail Yes, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. You can pre-order the book at um.pictorial.book.com. This is Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. It is the season opener against Colorado, and I am joined by Jim Branstadter, legendary Michigan broadcaster, as we break down Michigan's season opener against the Colorado Buffaloes. We now get to the game. Now, the the story in the first half, it, it feels like most of what everybody anticipated coming into this game. It's it's kind of a struggle early on between both teams, but what almost feels like a sign, a, a sign of things to come for the season, Charles Woodson picks up the first turnover of the season, intercepting quarterback John Hessler. Uh, that interception would lead to a Chris Floyd touchdown. Now, Jim, if you could, what are your memories of Chris Floyd in his time at Michigan? 
in my opinion, Chris Floyd was one of the great hammers in Michigan football history as a fullback. He and Jared Bunch and, and a few others, I mean, they were just big, solid, and I mean solid. I mean, muscle on muscle. They were hard as rocks, and they knew it, and they played that way. Now, Chris scored touchdowns, you know, but, but his impact, in my opinion, was as a blocker and as a physical presence because he would run up on isolation plays. What isolation plays, for those listening, is where the line sets a hole and you allow the fullback and that linebacker unblocked to meet in the hole and the running back breaks off that. Chris Floyd would punish linebackers. I mean, punish them. If they came free on a blitz during a pass and greasy stand, Chris Floyd would literally stone them in the hole. He was so physical and so tough. He set the tone there. He he would gain five yards in a game and score three touchdowns <laughs> because they'd get to the goal line and that would but Chris Floyd was a real physical presence. And anybody who played Michigan and any linebacker that saw them on film said, I'm in for a long day and I better button my chin strap up. He was, in my opinion, a physical intimidator for that 97 Michigan team, along with that entire offensive line. Absolutely. And so kind of like a Jerome Bettis type, where you would sit there and you look at his stats and you're just like, he got into the end zone more times than he almost gained yards <laughs> from what it would exactly. feel like. And again, it was, it was that typical of that team, because that team could run. So you'd get, you know, first and goal at the nine, you'd be second and goal at the five, You'd be third and goal at the one, and Chris Floyd would score. And, 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 and that's how that, that, that team played football. And that, that's okay. And Jerome actually had, in my opinion, a little bit more running back type skills. Chris was a prototypical fullback. He was straight ahead. He wasn't going to juke you out of a spot. He was going to run over you. And, and that was beautiful for him because that's what the fullback was supposed to do in that I formation. You block. You protect, and you get third and ones. And that's what Chris Floyd was able to do. Absolutely. And the Wolverines take a 7-0 lead. Michigan would eventually take a 10-0 lead on number 8 Colorado into halftime. Now, Jim, you're calling the game in the booth, and you've seen two games between Colorado and Michigan in the last three years be neck and neck, basically to the very last play. I'm wondering, what sense are you getting in the game, as Michigan goes, you know, to halftime with a 10-0 lead, are you thinking Colorado's going to make a rally, or are you thinking uh, this is not looking good for Colorado? I'm thinking this is not looking good for Colorado. Um, you know, when you get into a game, and yeah, it was tight back and forth, but Colorado couldn't do anything. I mean, Colorado couldn't move the ball across the street. <laughs> we were turning them over. You know, we were stopping their run. Uh, and we were doing things offensively okay. Now, we were going to make adjustments and get better. Because I think we were kind of learning our offense. And, and Mike DeBoard, who was in his first year calling plays as the offensive coordinator, was kind of learning, where's Brian Greasy in this? How can we get this thing working? Jeremy Tooman was going to later on become a weapon as a tight end. You know, we had Ty Streets out there. But Mike's learning the offense. Anthony's going to be the hammer running the football from the tailback position. And Chris is going to block, but he's kind of getting all the pieces together. It was clear in the first half that Colorado didn't have an answer for the Michigan defense in any way. I mean, they're shut out. So I'm think thinking when I'm in the booth, 
Michigan's going in at half. They're going to make a, a few adjustments here or there. And that defense is going to continue to play. And if they get one more short field, one more turnover, and they go up three scores, game's over. Mm. Period. I mean, I just felt that way because Colorado was out of their depth. Michigan was that much better. Now, we had seen Michigan play earlier, and they weren't, you know, when they started the season, ranked in the top 10. They were like in the 20s. And yet we had seen them play, and they were good. And we knew they were good. And Colorado came in with this big reputation, and Michigan just stoned them. And, and at halftime, it was 10 nothing. I figured at the end of the game, if Michigan scores 24, game was over. <laughs> and all they had to do was score 17, the game was over, in my opinion. But they scored more than that. And uh, I, just, I just thought we were in control of the football game at 10 nothing even though it was kind of back and forth. Absolutely. And when we come back, we will talk about the second half of the 1997 Michigan season opener against Colorado. This is Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. It is the season opener for the Wolverines as they take on the Colorado Buffaloes. I am joined by legendary Michigan broadcaster Jim Branstadter. It is 10-0 coming out of halftime. Michigan has dominated the first half so far, but mainly it's been the defense in this one, and Michigan hasn't blown the game open just yet until now. Following another Michigan touchdown, the dam begins to break for the Colorado Buffaloes. John Hessler throws his third interception of the game, this time Clint Copehaver, uh, Copehaver, I believe that's it, uh, picks him off, and then it leads to another Wolverine touchdown. So in just the span of a few minutes, as you were saying, Jim, uh, the game goes from 10-0 to 24-0 against the number eight team in the country. Jim, take me back. You're in the booth. You said that this felt like it was teetering on the brink of a blowout. Yep. When when you're in the booth and all of a sudden you see 24 nothing in just a matter of minutes, are you thinking to yourself, well, I called this. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you got to understand, that was going through my mind at halftime that this, this could go blow up because Michigan was basically dominant, in my opinion, in the first half, even though the score was relatively tight. Uh, it didn't surprise me at all because, see, you mentioned Colorado is forcing to throw the football. That's right into – Michigan's game plan. We've got a pass rush. We got James Hall. You got Charles Woodson shutting down one side of the field. All right. Andre Weathers is on the other side of the field, a really underrated corner. You got our linebacker, Sam Sword, Clint Copenhaver in there. You got great pass rush with Glenn Steele, James Hall. Um, I'm sorry, but they didn't have an answer for any of those guys. And so they couldn't run it. And when they threw it, they were throwing into a team that could play defense. And this is where I give Lloyd Carr and that staff a lot of credit. They're playing a, a team that's higher rated. They're not going to take any chances with, in their opinion, kind of a little bit of an unknown offense. This is early, and I, I, I talked to them earlier about it. They're not really sure what they've got offensively, but they know what they've got defensively. So they play to their defense. They play field position, and they get a couple turnovers, get a couple of short fields. At that point, you've got the game in your hands, and, and that's exactly what they did. They forced Colorado to change their offense because they couldn't move the ball. They got to get back in the game, and that just led to more and more scores by Michigan because that defense was not going to allow 
Colorado to get anything in double figures. If they got nine points, that was their max, in my opinion, in that game. With this Michigan defense, it's and it seems like even early on, there's this theme of and and you know I remember talking about this with Gene Myers a few months ago. They didn't allow a touchdown in the first quarter all season long, but there seems to be this, and I love this about defenses where they're almost offended if you want to try and even score a field goal. And so to when a defense has the audacity of this, like, oh, you, you're trying to score on us? To me, that's the mark of a great defense, that they get offended that you even want to attempt a field goal on them. Is that the same type of feeling that you had from this Michigan defense, even just throughout the season, but especially in this first game? When I was playing at Michigan, Bo Schembechler was our coach. And Bo said that attitude is everything. And the attitude you just described in regards to this defense, not allowing anybody to even score, they took that attitude with them from the locker room at the beginning of the game, that they weren't going to allow a first down. I mean, they did not want that offense to be able to breathe. And that was from all 22 of the guys that played. And when that attitude kind of filtered through everybody, there was a certain pride. There was a certain kind of like, I don't want to be the one that lets that guy down to let something happen that might lead to a score or a first down. We can't have this. So everybody was totally focused. And that defense was that way. And, you know, Woodson led the charge, but so did their captain. Marcus Ray was, a, a you know, one of those guys that led the charge on that thing. And, and I'll never forget, this game was like that, where Michigan was ahead. They are blowing them out. And yet the defense came in late in the game. And they had the backups and stuff in there. The offense, the first string defense is on the sideline screaming at the guys out there, don't let them get a first down. You know, and that's that's how you create a team and that's how you create a defense that has the kind of year that they have. And uh, the offense was right with them. I mean, you know, they they were the same way with that defense. And I knew that this defense was special. I mean, I go back to the your your point about not allowing the offense. I go to the game against Penn State later in the year. They're the number two or three-ranked team or one-ranked team in the country. We go to Penn State. And the first play of the game, Glenn Steele breaks through and sacks their quarterback, and I mean plants him, physically plants him, and, and, and they lose eight yards, and they're second and 18, and the entire stadium went, holy crap. <laughs> And and but but that's the effect that first play that first series had, and this Michigan defense did it almost game in and game out. The first series, and it goes to your point about the first quarter, nobody scores a touchdown. The fact that the first series they set the tone, and the other guys knew, I'm in for a long day, and that that that's why that team was so good. Attitude. Absolutely. And, and you know, the moment, it, that moment, it seems like the door is slammed in, on Colorado. Michigan goes on to beat Colorado 27-3. Michigan starts out this 1997 season 1-0. Uh, after two nail-biters in the series, uh, this one is basically done in the third quarter. Uh, 
what do you remember in the aftermath of that game? Because it's the first game of the season. Colorado actually has another game under their belt. So they're, you know, one and one or two and one at this point. But Michigan, we really don't know because this team has come off of four straight, four lost seasons. And to do this to a Colorado team that was picked by some to be a national title team, what are you thinking? Yeah, we really didn't know, but we knew how good they were because this game, even though it was twenty-seven to three, wasn't that close, right? <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it could have been worse. And then don't ever forget this: that Michigan had a brand new offensive coordinator and a brand new defensive coordinator in the season. It was Mike DeBoer and Jim Herman. So we were kind of feeling our way in that opener. And if we were this good in that opener, and you wonder about Colorado, I mean, in my how I broadcast football games. Early in seasons, you don't know how good teams are. You can only go on what other people say. And in the preseason rankings, they were ranked number eight or whatever they were. And But you don't know for sure. And so you kind of got to say, I, I don't know how good Colorado is, but I know we're better than whatever we were, 17th or 19th, whatever they rated us as. Because our defense was, I mean, completely dominant. And offensively, we were really solid. Didn't turn the ball over. You know, had the running game going. Brian Greasy was, I would call him a really steady quarterback. Didn't do anything that I would call outstanding or flashy. All he did was get us into the right play, get first downs, move the football, kick it away, get to our defense and work with a 40-yard field, score 27 points, and win a game 27-3. That ain't bad for a first-year quarterback who was playing on the same team with Scott Dreisbach and Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's the guy that Lloyd Carr picked to play the game. And I, I thought at that point, I said, you know, if this offense can continue to do that, just manage and be solid and be physical and not turn it over, not give the other guy easy shots. This defense can carry it till this offense finds its legs. I just weren't sure how good we were going to be, and I found out finally when we played Penn State near the end of the year. I'll never forget sitting in the booth with Frank Beckman. We destroyed one of the best teams in the country, a number one ranked team. And by then, near the end of the season, you knew where everybody was. And at halftime, we had blown them out, and I looked at Beckman, and he looked at me, and we both kind of said at the same time, are we this good? <laughs> and we were. Yeah. But that's when we really, truly knew. But after this first game, we knew anybody coming to play this team, they were going to have to play really, really good to beat them. Because we knew Michigan was good. For sure. Really good. For sure. And, 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 and real quick before we wrap things up, you, had, you made a point about Brian Greasy being a essentially a game manager. And I feel like these days, whether it's college football or even pro football, heck, even high school football, the whole game manager label, it feels like such a negative – connotation but to me and you know you you played the game much longer than i have but um it, it to is, is it one of those things where that's okay to be a game manager sometimes you well, can have a game manager and have success look it, 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 trent dilfer when he played back for the baltimore ravens was a game manager they won a super bowl 
That's okay, isn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, 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 and all I'm saying about Brian is, and, and the quarterback position is a lot of different things. It's, it's about leadership. And, and Brian, if you'll know, if you remember, Brian had some issues up on the hill on campus and he was not on the team in the spring, but he worked out every day. Uh, the same time the team did on his own because he had been let go from the team. Lloyd had been very hard on him. And then he was allowed back. And every guy on that team knew the sacrifice Brian Greasy had made without anybody around him, without the coaches. He did it because he wanted to be part of the team. When he walked back on that team, he had creds. He had bona fides because he had done that. And every guy knew it. And then when he took control, he walked into the huddle like he owned it. And, and every guy on that team understood that Brian Greasy brings more to the table here than just handing the ball. Every play that came in, he got it to the right spot. He gave it to the right guy. He made the right read. He came back after a really bad game against Iowa in the second half, played a perfect second half, and led a comeback victory against a really good team. Those are the kinds of things that solidify you as a really solid, great quarterback on a football team. They're not necessarily the flashy stuff. And if you want to call it a game manager, go ahead. But it's more than just managing the game. You got to be a leader. You got to be the guy that motivates. You got to be the guy that gets the team in the right set. You got to be the guy that gets a little mad at somebody, <laughs> tell them you're not doing it right. Right. You And you can't be afraid to do that. That's not easy to do amongst your peers. But Brian did all of that, and I, and I think it, it's wonderful because in the Rose Bowl, who was the guy that was the MVP? Brian Greasy. Brian Greasy. And that's not a game manager. Right. When you are the MVP of a Rose Bowl game, you're a little bit more than that. So during the season, Brian did what Brian needed to do to win. At the end of the season, he was doing the same thing, and yet people recognized it in the Rose Bowl. That's worth MVP honors. So your point about game manager is right. Quarterbacks are a lot more than just game managers. They have to be able to control a football team and win. And Brian Greasy was the epitome of that. That is, that's a fact. And Jim, we appreciate you coming on the show. We should definitely do this again. Thank you for, thank you for coming on the show, Jim. I really appreciate it. Well, I can help you out. You bet. Of course. We will be back with more Road to the Victors after this break. We are back with Road to the Victors, the story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines. In the aftermath of Michigan's impressive 27-3 victory over the Colorado Buffaloes, head coach Rick Neuheisel said that his team needed to rebound emotionally after that loss. He was correct. The Buffaloes were a top-10 team entering that game. Despite being labeled one-point underdogs on the road, this was a team that had relatively high expectations. But they were brought back to earth by a Michigan team that needed to prove that four years of four straight, four lost seasons were a thing in the past. As for Colorado, they finished a stunning 5-6, and six, missing out on a bowl game for the first time since 1987. Next week, Michigan will face another Big 12 team, the Baylor Bears. In a very rare occurrence, 
the Michigan Wolverines not only avoided playing small conference teams in this season, but they had the rare Big 12 double dip to open the season. You won't see anything like that these days. An early look at the Baylor Bears indicates that Michigan goes from facing one of the Big 12's best to one of that conference's worst. And in our next episode, we will see that a national title and Heisman Trophy race begin to take shape. Before we go, we want to thank our guest, Jim Brandstatter. Anjanette Delgado and Kirkland Crawford are the executive producers of this podcast. Terry Jr. II provides technical support. Peter Batia is the editor of the Detroit Free Press. You can find Road to the Victors on Freep.com slash podcasts and Apple, Spotify, or your streaming app of choice. Please subscribe, leave a rating, and tell your friends about us. It really does help. We will be back next week when Michigan faces Baylor. For more information on the 1997 Michigan team, pre-order the book, Hail Yes! The Story of the 1997 Michigan Wolverines at Freep.com. I'm Andrew Hammond, and we'll see you next week.